nhhorror.com podcast. This is episode, whatever it is, 52 probably. Um, we watched Phantasm. Not as the newsletter promised, Blood on Satan's Claw because of availability issues. Yeah, we, uh, we'll probably do that one next time, I would imagine. But uh, Once we get our hands on, turns out it needs to get a physical copy of that. Yeah, I, I don't unless I'm mistake, missing something. I don't. I don't want to sign up for Shutter. Uh, plus, I also used my Shutter free trial previously. But anyway, we're getting off topic already. Uh, well, we watched Phantasm. It's uh, the 1979 science fiction horror movie uh, directed by Don Coscarelli. It stars Angus Scrim, Michael Baldwin, Bill Thornberry, and Reggie Bannister as Reggie. As Reggie. Uh, it's a classic. It's like the classic indie horror movie from the late 70s. And I will let you take it away with a summary of Phantasm. All right. So it starts off with this guy named Tommy's in the graveyard having weird, if, you know, let's not get into the, the anatomy of it all. But he gets stabbed by a lady who's actually a tall man that he's having sex with. And then they go to his funeral. And then uh, Michael, the kid, Sees the tall man pick up Reggie's... Nope, not Reggie. Tommy's gravestone puts it back in the thing. Or his casket puts it back in the truck with one hand because he's really strong. Then he starts falling around. He's weird. And then he goes to his funeral home. And there's another character actor guy down there who gets killed by a giant sphere. Or it's a regular size sphere. My mistake. But it's silver and it bores into him and spews his blood everywhere. Then he chops off the guy's finger and he shows his brother so his brother believes him and then his brother goes in and then there's dwarves and they're all I don't know doing something back on a different planet and then Reggie is there and then they Reggie gets killed but then they kill the tall man by throwing by giving him the old fashioned Oni Baba and then but it was all a dream but or was it because the tall man's there and then Michael gets sucked into a closet at the end I'm really, I'm uh, really enjoying the uh, the idea that there's something called a good old fashioned Oni Baba. And I mean, that's what happened. <laughs> he was chasing him. He jumped over a pit. The tall man did not jump over the pit. If that's not an Oni Baba, I don't know what is. So this is one of five. Fan- that's too many of this movie, honestly. I, I don't know. I've never seen any of the other ones. I. But uh, I have to say, this movie, I find this movie. Um, I don't know what's the what's the phrase? Uh, enchanting, enjoyable, <laughs> delightful. Engrossing. Yeah, I love this movie. Um, I love this movie. This movie's a real banger. I saw this movie. Uh, this movie is very much like uh, reflects my taste in a way that few movies do. I would say. And, okay, so it's got um, Jawas in it. It's got Jawas because you like Star Wars. It's got I like Star Wars. I like Dune. It's got a lot of Dune illusions, intentional or otherwise. It's got seventies feathered hair. Yep. It's got graveyards. Yeah. It's got tall guys. Yeah, the tall man. It's got weird, inexplicable death devices, sphere-style death devices, much like your rovers, if you will. Well, I mean, I, I, love, the, I love the way this movie sort of like uh, the like the voiceovers sort of like cascade to the next scene. Like the dialogue, it's, it's, it's a constant thing they do is where like someone will start talking and then the conversation will end as the next scene has already started. The cuts in this movie are wild. The... Um, the general sort of like uh it's very like dream dream logic like things are just strung together sort of like a lot of times there's no real continuity between the scenes like no there's a lot of hard cuts between scenes like back and forth 
and characters are inexplicably absent from like scenes that you would think they would be in <laughs> as they come from like place to place like in the movie's locations like they'll be there's really like the characters are are split up sort of like haphazardly without like really any like narrative cohesion and that's probably i mean it's probably mostly like financially motivated reasons for that but right. like <laughs> it creates this like sort of like it makes it so it's like was this a dream kind of thing at the end of the movie it's it would be totally believable that it was even though i think it turns out that it wasn't or maybe it does or maybe it's both yeah maybe it was a dream because he does within the theoretical larger dream of the film he does encounter they do encounter the tall man in their dreams that's true so he presumably has dream powers they do a nice thing that i think is important in that they do not like directly attack the antagonist because then I think that pro, then when you do that, that gives the film a challenge where they decide, well, how strong is this person? You know, yeah. you have to more clearly define how killable they are. And once you do that, I think you run into problems because like either they kill them and they're successful, which obviously that couldn't happen, yeah. or they don't kill them and they're like, well, I guess they can't kill this guy. So what are they gonna do? It's the old uh, drive a boat into Cthulhu problem. Yeah, like say for instance, you're in the back of a speeding hearse. And instead of pointing the gun at your captor, who's clearly, like, not moving, and you have clear, like, you know, yeah, one-foot access to. Who's it easier to shoot, the tire or the, uh... He shoots out the window and then shoots the tire through the car. Which is cool. Right. But <laughs> in one shot, it's a very impractical plan, but it serves that purpose of not, you know... Because if you shoot the guy through the head, then he just gets back up. You're like, oh, well, I guess you can't kill this guy. I really like the uh, Mike character. But like I, I, you know, like there's obviously this like psychological thing where his parents have died recently, and that sort of like there's sort of this fixation with the funeral home and this other stuff. But uh, he's also like a really like, you know, he's a 13 year old kid and he's drinking beer and driving a car around, and yeah. uh, he's very very ingenious. Like like he he's definitely the the primary like mover of the story. Like the the brother and the Reggie are like at best, half as effectual as Mike is. I was definitely wondering how old he was constantly until they said he was 13. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm like, oh, he's like a kid. You're like, he's like eight as he's dirt biking through the graveyard. I'm like, oh, but he just drove a car. <laughs> he's clearly older. Then he's like, oh, my 13-year-old brother. I mean, the the car is cool in the movie. Yeah. The Barracuda or whatever it is. The kid's also a bit of a gearhead. He has to spend half of the, you know, non-crucial part of the movie fixing the car. Yeah. Um, and the score of this movie is... Uh, really Synth-heavy? Yeah, synth-heavy. That's really cool. It's like, it's like a classic. You think, I mean, you said John Carpenter earlier. I think that's that's definitely uh, a reasonable comparison, but it's got that same, like, it's definitely got... When you think of, like, 80s horror movie score, even yeah. though this movie came out in 79, you... you this is kind of like what you're imagining, and this is like the archetypal one. Yeah. Maybe even more so than Halloween, which doesn't have the synths that this one has. Yeah, but yes, it sounds much like the much like Mikey looked like someone I had definitely seen before. This movie sounded like something I've heard before. I guess uh, if there's anything to criticize about this movie, it's like uh, I think it's just that a lot of the stuff that's good about the movie has sort of a double-edged effect. <laughs> Where like, I like that stuff doesn't really make a lot of sense and you don't really get it. There's no explanations for anything. Like you're no. not going to get like, it's not like they explain like what is actually happening with the space dimension or the people in the tubes yeah. or, or the Jawas 
or what's exactly happening with any of that stuff. And, uh, you know, you don't even know when the movie ends. You're not even sure what just happened because was it a dream? Right. But it, at the same time, it also doesn't feel like it. It's like the kind of movie that can live to not explain itself. What do you mean? I feel like there are plenty of movies that don't thoroughly explain themselves. Yeah. But they, you know, maybe because they're just like there's more craft in it or something that they they skate by on not actually fully explaining themselves. Like, you know, oh, it's a metaphor. Or, oh, there's ideas there. It feels like, you know, this is straightforward lore that just is not told to you. Yeah. Which I think tends to, you know, push people away to go, oh, I didn't feel like I, there was something extra that I was missing out on. It feels like they literally just did not tell me, they did not explain things properly. Not that they were obtuse because they were masking some other meaning. The sphere was not representative of any, of, you know, this lingering doubt in Mikey's mind that death comes for us all. It's just a weird metal sphere that bores into people's brains. Is Jody a heroic figure because it's all a dream and he is missing his dead brother, so he imagines his brother is this bold, heroic figure? I, uh... Reggie's lack of a death because Reggie's still there in his life, so even though tension and it would have been logical that he would die, he just appears once again at the end to survive because... I mean, those those are those are pretty reasonable interpretations, I think. But I think the other thing is we we don't really ever get to find out. But I think it's I do think it's better that way. Um, I don't think that there would be a satisfactory explanation for uh, what happens. What happens, or if they like, they don't watch Phantasm too, probably. If they gave us like five minutes of exposition on the uh, Jawas and the the slave world, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think the movie gets better in that situation. <laughs> you know. I think it only can only get worse from by explaining this stuff, and I think the the beauty of the movie is the, the like the sort of like um, you don't think you don't think so. The photo in the antique shop, he finds a muscular tome and does like a good exposition dump on who the tall man is. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think. I think that this movie's much better not knowing all that stuff. Frankly, it's just that he's really old. Yeah, like what? What is this guy's deal? Like, is he a vampire? And the thing is, like, it it, it hues more closely. I wouldn't say it's like a uh, a touch of realism, but it's it, and it's it's the way like you would more if something like this was happening. It's sort of doubtful that you would ever find out what was that you would fall ass backwards in all the mythology of it. Yeah, no, I mean, like, obviously, like some shit's going on. They kind of get caught up in it, but they're not. They don't ever know the truth. Oh, he went looking for it. Let's be honest. He didn't just get caught up in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. He was peeping in the graveyard, all, more than once. Once he had that. Yeah, you know, it's clearly a dream because when remember when he's in the graveyard watching his brother get seduced by the tall man, and he takes his shirt. The tall man takes his shirt down and he pops out his as la- when he's a lady. Yeah. And the boobs come out. He's like, whoa, wow, we. But also he's like 60 feet away from there or something. And he clearly, they're like weird moving blobs in the distance. But he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because it's in his brain. It's in his dream brain. So he saw it. Or maybe he ran up and then ran back. (laughs) (laughs) He sprinted up real quick. Yeah, well, he was just, yeah. He was just like when the movie was actually like literally in his vision. So he would be running up and be right behind, uh, right behind Jody. And then he and then run back. And then reacted. <laughs> then he went back, react. Then he went back. <laughs> yeah. Then he ran back. Wow. It's really nice of George Lucas to lend him the Jawa costumes. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they're Jawas. They're just squished down people. That's not what Jawas are. Jawas live on a desert. Do you know that they're not squished down people? 
Do I know that Jawas aren't squished down people? Yes. Yeah, I know what Jawas aren't squished down people. What are Jawas? Well, Google it. Google Jawas without hood. No, it's just like a weird snake man with no eyes or whatever. Yeah, there you go. Or like a mole, I thought. And we saw we saw what the these, these Jawas looked like without their hood. Yeah, it was like they had bad 70s mustaches. The last hurrah of the bad 70s mutton chop into mustache. R.P. Tommy. I mean, I've, I've actually I've had that hairstyle I know. several times. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Usually around the anniversary of Lemmy's death, I'd bring it out for a couple yeah, yeah. weeks. Yeah, but that feels more ceremonial. It's a tribute. It feels more ceremonial. To the great man. Not like something you would wear all the time. But you also don't wear like your shirt five buttons open or whatever in bell bottoms. You don't have that full like scuzz guy aesthetic. <laughs> Not for lack of trying. <laughs> you just gotta like curl up your hair more. Get a perm. <laughs> Get a perm. That's what you need. And some kind of medallion, I think. I mean, I definitely I want to wear one of those um, opera medallions that that uh, or those that medal like Dracula has the Dracula pendant, the Dracula trophy. Well, I did a really good. I you know I'm the best or whatever, so I can wear my medal. Yeah, I'm to number one Dracula. Uh, what about Angus Grimm in this movie though? I think he's pretty great. He looked very familiar, and then I was re I was reading a review real quick. Yep. And um, it was a Roger the Roger Ebert review, and he referred to him as like a leaner John Carradine. Or something to that effect. Or John Carradine. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's kind of what I was. Th- that's kind of like the kind of guy he looks like. Because I'm like, this guy's got a look to him, and I couldn't pin it down. I guess I can actually see that. He's got like the same kind of hair, and the same kind of like, whatever. It doesn't really matter too much. But yeah, he's a good guy. He lo- likes to play games. Or yeah, you play a good game, boy. He seems like the kind of guy who would get really overused in the sequels. Yeah, I'm sure he does. <laughs> But while we've while we're off on our tangent, I think this would be a perfect time to dip in this correspondence I got recently. Okay. As you know, I've been pretty busy. Yep. I don't have time as often to go to Egypt and go splunking through, uh, you know, the mummy's tombs. Right. But luckily, I have a letter here from a professor, Woollywood, over in Oxford, okay. and he just went on a latest expedition. He just wanted, to, you know, report his findings to me, and he found for me deep into the mummy's crypt. He found this message that said, <clears throat> "Matthew, Halloween's coming up soon, and we all know that's the." the the reason for the season is spooks, right? Yes. And as a homeowner, you are open to the possibility of, like many other homeowners, turning your house into a haunted house. But who has the time to prep a haunted house all the way, right? Not me. It's easy to make spider webs, no problem. But the hard part is, like, who's got time to peel grapes? Who's got time to put the, you know, boil spaghetti a little bit? Skin all those dogs. Exactly. So... This is the, this is where Cryptcater comes in. Cryptcater is a is this some kind of potato based service? Not Cryptcater. Cryptcater. Cryptcaterer. Oh, it's Cryptcaterer. Cryptcaterer. Okay. But each each that's a different thing. That's not sponsoring us. Okay, this we're week. not we're not going. We're, we're not, not sponsored by Cryptcater. Faked potatoes. No, no. Cryptcaterer. We're though. sponsored by the traveling potato man. No, no, that's a bed. <laughs> The Traveling Potato Man. Yeah, it's kind of like the Traveling Wilburys, but yes. they all, but they only make songs about potatoes. Got a super group. It's got the guy from um, Traveling Wilburys. So anyway, we're talking about Crypt Caterer. So what you do is, you know, for the, as the Halloween season comes up, you send Crypt Caterer your location, like your GPS, like where you live, and then they use census data to send to you know, you know, map your current population, how many kids are in your area. That sort of thing. And then you say, what kind of things do you want? Do you want eyeballs? Do you want witch's hair? Do you want intestines? Do you want brains? And then they will send you the appropriate, the appropriate amount of, you know, old ground beef or peeled grapes, <laughs> wet spaghetti, 
all those sorts of like food adjacent things. That so this is like a, this is like a dumpster <laughs> parsing service. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is the service that provides you with handy, well portioned boxes of Halloween spooky fakes, so you don't have to go through the effort with the grapes, the pasta, the eggplants, all the different pieces. You don't have to be like, oh, you don't have to spend all your time wetting sandpaper and saying it's, you know, zombie tongues because Crip Cater has already sent you all that wet sandpaper yourself. My grandmother always used to say that, actually. She used to say, don't wet sandpaper and tell me it's a zombie tongue. <laughs> your, well, your grandmother had no sense of horror. This is for kids also, you know, especially portion box. And then, you know, act quickly because October's coming up. Presumably this will come up soon. Just in time for the Halloween season. So go to CripCaterer.com slash Golden Age to get $20 off your first box. So and you can do it every, any way you want. So if you want all spaghetti, you can have all spaghetti. If you want all grapes, that's all grapes. If you're like the werewolf kidney house in town, you can get a big box full of tomatoes. And this, you also can order as many boxes as you want. But this is simply $20 off of your first case. And once again, it's CripKitter.com slash Golden Age for $20 off your first box. And now, I'm going to put this letter away, file it away, wish Willie Wood a good, safe expedition, and back to the show. Let's talk about the visuals of this film. There's some good visuals in this movie. Yeah, like this is... Horror movies seem like, as we watch more and more of them, they seem like they have a, have a, nice, a nice touch for the long hallway, the long ominous hallway. I'm realizing, like, oh, maybe these are rather easy to frame someone in a long, ominous hallway for and for it to be effective. Well, the that 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 set with the uh, marble, the mausoleum set with the mar- white marble walls is really is really wild. Yeah, it's just like this is not a real mausoleum. It's clearly spooky. It's clearly possessed by some demon alien thing. I, I do like how they clearly that location does not match the exterior because you never saw anyone actually going inside that that uh, giant house they filmed for the mausoleum. Yeah. Like they had three different shots and they didn't link them anyway. So like clearly they're all different places. <laughs> Let's talk about shots that clearly don't link it anyway. That's the name of this movie. Yeah. Like, well, there was the, the exterior shot with the, what was it? I can't remember the name of the, the uh, funeral home, but it was like morning, morning rise, morning side. Okay. Uh, Most of the letters were there. They had that uh, gate. Yeah. Morning side above it. And then they had um, the exterior of the, the big white funeral home with, yeah. the, with the barracuda pulling in and out of it a couple times. Which doesn't feel like it's connected to the gate, really. It doesn't, it doesn't really feel like it's connected to the gate. You certainly never see them go from one place to the next. And they also never establish the connection between that and the interior of the mausoleum. Yeah, there's never like a transition into the mausoleum. They're either, they break into the basement, which is, looks like a regular basement. And then most of the time they're just like in the mausoleum. It's like you see someone going in and then you see them. Or you see someone outside, they're heading to the place and they're in the mausoleum. Which is just this wild, entirely marble. I mean, you see, like, the church at one point? You do see the church. I guess that's true. But, again, there's no... Like, you don't... They never... I think, again, it's probably financially, primarily, but they, they never establish, like... There's no... A lot of times movies will take care to set the scene so you understand what's happening, and this movie consciously does not do that. Does not care for that sort of thing. It, it like, explicitly takes no... It makes no effort to, like, establish, like, a sense of place. <laughs> Which, uh, if you're if you're if you're if you're honoring the hypothesis that this movie is intentionally dreamlike and surrealist, then it makes perfect sense. Yeah, that because you know the staple, the standard idea of dreams is that locations are not connected. Right. Well, you, in a dream, you might find yourself. Uh, you walk from place to place, and you're an entirely different. You know, you've you've walked from your bedroom to your workplace or to your school, and there's been no travel time. So. I mentioned this earlier when, you know, 
So we didn't, we kind of briefly touched upon the this. So okay, what there's that room with all like the Greco or Roman or like all those heads above it. The white room. Yeah, what's going on with those faces? You know, like who are those people supposed to be? Why are they in succession like that? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I didn't think there were. I didn't. Or if it's just like a good aesthetic. I. That's how I interpreted it. I mean, it, it sort of matched the the marble mausoleum, so I thought it was just supposed to be like uh, appropriate decoration. Yeah, but maybe it, uh, maybe um, it was also like very distinct, like clear, like that room was marked by those heads. That's true, and I don't. You know, it seemed like Mike attached a lot of significance to that room, and I'm not quite sure why. Also, I mean, that's where the witch girl went in and didn't disappear like 10 minutes in the movie. Which is never explained, right? No, no. Not, it's, not, it's never touched on upon it at all. Yeah, good. He thinks about later, back when he's like, there's that weird moment. I don't know if it's intentional, but he's like clearly putting his hand in like the pain box from Dune. Yeah. And they and they, they say fear is the ki- like the killer. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's there's no way that it's not from, that's not. Very intentional. He didn't, there's no way he didn't read Dune and like put that in there. Then there's Dune's Tavern. When did the Dune movie come out? I think the 80s. Yeah. Because um, Lynch was already established by then. Yeah. And Eraserhead's like late 70s, I think. Yeah, okay. How about Reggie Bannister in this movie? I like his hair. Yeah, it's great. He's, got a, good, he's a guitar player, too. He seems like he embodies everything that man wants to be. Oh, you know what I looked? I looked at the Devil's Tuning Fork. Yeah. Because I'd heard that concept before. Yeah. It's, um, it's that Impossible Trident. Is also called the Devil's Tuning Fork. Impossible Trident. The um, that three that three block thing that you can draw, but it's like an impossible one of those impossible shapes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Interesting. That's also referred to, at least through a cursory search. That's also referred to as the Devil's Tuning Fork. That's wild. And it makes sense, possibly in the terms of like to the depth of this that this movie explores anything. It seemed like someone would be like, oh yeah, like would hear that thing is called the Devil's Tuning Fork, and there's this impossible space in between these. Two yeah, things. I mean, you got to imagine the third or the middle fork would be this dimension to another world. Be where the, uh, you know, I mean, side because it clear it draws a very a very clear a very explicit line. Or yeah, he 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 uh, he flashes back to the tuning fork. Also, the flashbacks are all hard cuts in this movie. Like there's no like elu- there's no illusion of flashback or anything. It's just a lot. Whenever flashbacks, it's just a very hard cut to remind us of a concept. Often, sometimes it's just more effective than others. Like with said tuning fork, but sometimes it's like the kid when Mikey's telling him about what hat we saw in the graveyard, and he like flashes back to like like five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty disorienting. I think it worked. Like it wasn't too bad, but I think it only really like effectively worked when Mikey was on the like the street. It was like hard cutting between him and Jody. I think that was the only time I was like, "Yeah, okay, I see what these hard cuts are going for." It, it definitely is. It it, it just. Uh, I mean, it's sort of like what we were saying before with the a lot of the stuff. You don't know if it's like some kind of. It, it's hard to tell. Like it honestly, it's hard to tell if it was meant to be disorienting or if it was just all they knew how to do. Or... It's the eternal question. <laughs> There's a very thin line between avant-garde and amateur. Yeah, I mean, I I prefer to think in this this case it was like some of both, but. Amateur with avant-garde aspirations. Well, I mean, some of the choice like it's probably a mix. Like sometimes they, some of the choices were made because they wanted it to be dreamlike and disorienting, and some yeah. of them were made just because you know other reasons. They like, didn't know complicated editing concepts. They, didn't, they couldn't. They didn't know how to do it, or they didn't have the money to do it, or it just it didn't what, occur to them, right? <laughs> to do anything besides a hard cut. Yeah. Like, what do you mean fade or crossfade or yeah. <laughs> what are those things? No, just put the new piece of film after it. We I didn't... mean, there is some there is some weird editing with the voiceovers and stuff. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like <laughs> so it's like it's hard to be like. I, I, now I'm thinking about it, like 
I would be curious to watch the movie and wonder if there is or anything besides hard cuts in this movie. It, it works. works. Yeah, yeah. Can I say? If you do it throughout the entire movie, it becomes part of the movie's aesthetic. It's a, it's a, style, a stylistic choice. It's not a uh, limitation. Thanks so much for listening to episode 52 of the GoldenAgeHorror.com podcast. You can visit our website for more information, articles, and show notes. If you like the podcast and you want to give us a five-star review, please do so. If you leave a five-star review, we'll read, especially if you make it a bit of flash horror fiction, we'll read it right on the show and give you full credit and also... You get 10% of all our profits. Uh, no, wait, no, no. Let's rescind that last bit. You get 10% of all of our thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's 10%. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we definitely use more uh, positive ratings. Even if you, like, just listen to the podcast, just rate it five stars. Yeah, yeah I think that's going to be good. I mean, it's just, it's just the best way to spread the word, I think is the point. Words are, it's a point that words get spread. I sit there and I stare at our review rating every night. And it just doesn't move. And it just gets so sad. I just don't look at it. You probably shouldn't. That's how, that's how I do it. That's how I handle it. But anyway, if you don't want to miss an episode, you can uh, follow us on Facebook or you go to our website. GoldenHR.com. GoldenHR.com and sign up for the mailing list. Uh, as of a couple months ago, Andrew is now handcrafting these artisanally uh, crafted emails with uh, custom messages. So if you get that, you get an extra extra piece of, uh, I guess, I... Uh, I think I think in the modern parlance, it's referred to as content. I, did, I was trying to think of a word that wouldn't debase myself. But I, <laughs> or debase me. I couldn't, uh, couldn't think of one. But uh, yeah. It's, it's, I, I prefer to think of it as a freewheeling stream of consciousness experience. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just another thing. If you want, if you want more, uh, if you want a more cogent Andrew than yeah. the verbal one, then you can get one from the... Yeah. The, uh, I, I posted my music in there. Yeah. Very slightly. Uh, uh, Andrew, do you have anything going on that you want to promote? Are you good for festivals? And I think so. We're doing a whole thing. Look, look for your local craft fair in Massachusetts. See if there's going to be video games there. Our theme music is the Swan Lake Dub by Dubology. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Water Method or Andrew at Pizza Pranks. Uh, next month probably be Blood on Satan's Claw, unless something else, gotcha. unless that DVD gets lost in the mail or yeah, something. Yeah, who knows what could happen? Uh, thanks for listening. Again, that website is www.goldenhour.com. Five stars. Five stars.